just had my friend Dale Howie on the podcast. First of all, Dale's a Mississippi boy. Yeah, that's right. You're going to love the action. Which I love. Yeah. Dale is paraphrasing George McDonald's sermons. Yeah. And he, he's basically, and we talk about this in the podcast, he's taken it from King James to message paraphrase. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and make, make it, which you and I are big George McDonald fans. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we read his Creation in Christ unspoken sermons like we would uh, a dev- daily devotion. Yeah. And it's so rich, but it's also like one of those things that you can only read a couple lines at a time. hundred years old. The language is a little bit tough to navigate. Yeah. Dale paraphrases it and does it with such grace, humility, and a story that is profoundly transformative. I mean, this is a man that yeah that understood religion more intimately than most of us. He stubbornly understood religion as he yeah. talks about. Yeah. Uh, well, and Dale Dale is full of a, a rich life story of yeah. his own that he shares in this podcast that was very powerful and touching yeah. for me personally. And just uh, knowing that God is with the brokenhearted. God is with us. He loves us. And we're never alone. And he uses this analogy that God is actually putting all the pieces together. Yes, yeah, the puzzle box analogy. The puzzle box analogy. That we've, we've been handed all the pieces, but we haven't seen the cover. Yeah, and the cover is that we are all part of the same family and we're connected that, yeah we're connected that god is our father that jesus came to show us god as a father the, the tr- triune god yeah father son Holy i want to go hang out with Dale. Uh, it, it, well it's incredible he's an amazing guy and incredible communicator incredible storyteller yeah. the most genuine person you could meet i mean he's yeah. he's he's just incredible i i've so enjoyed getting to know him over the last several months and i i'm just honored that we were able to have him on the podcast to tell you guys about what he's doing I think everybody should be reading George McDonald and and all of a sudden you can't. Yeah. He's making it possible yeah. For, yeah. For, for everybody because he really is um, taking a profound work. His website is frontporchtheology.org. And uh, spoiler alert, Dale is a burger guy. <laughs> but he did confess to... Uh, a treat that would be south of the border, a treat that we can relate to because this is Rethinking God with Tacos. So you got to hold on to the end to hear what this surprise is I love from you, this burger guy. I love how you are like, and I have something to confess. We have, we, we have to make an announcement. It's really hard. It's going to be hard for you guys to stomach this. But no, it's, this is a really good conversation with a, a, a profoundly authentic human being who has mm-hmm. experienced the love of God in ways that uh, have been so transformative and then has been able to share them in powerful ways. I'm, I'm really excited about this podcast. Yeah, enjoy it. Nick, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. Looking forward to this. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, man, it's good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, this is as close to face-to-face we've been in 25 years or something like that. Isn't that amazing? I was telling Derek, this is the first face-to-face we've had in, well, it's been 17 years since we moved away from Mississippi, from Jackson. Yeah. And probably a couple of years before that Mm -hmm. because that was when my folks were having meetings in the house so it's been maybe 20 years it has been every bit of that's incredible yeah we're very different people now yes 20 years changes us a lot (laughs) i've been in a desert in a cave for almost as almost that long so 
I, I got to come outside not too long ago. It's it really feels weird. That's incredible. Well, I'm glad you're out. <laughs> Dale, um, can I just ask you about your relationship with Baxter Kruger? Yes. How has that connection come about? And are you guys still in contact? Or yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, I ran into him. <laughs> um, about 20 years ago, that's when we were talking about the time frame. Um, Lloyd, Mary, and my wife and I and a bunch of other old preacher boys had all gotten thrown out of everywhere. And so we were all meeting in homes trying to decide if we were going to start a church. And so we were meeting in uh, a guy's house that particular Sunday morning, and he had invited Baxter and Beth. My dad and mom were there. Yes, your dad was there. I think I might have even been there. You might have. And uh, so anyway, um, it was a kind of a freeform thing. And I love to pop up and pop off. That's about what I'm good at. I have an incurable uh, mouth disease. Um, I don't know that there's any hope this side of the grave with that. And uh, so I did. I popped up and popped off. And I had been through a lot in the years uh, preceding our meeting, meeting Baxter. And uh, I had moved from answers to questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up among the frozen chosen. I was infant baptized in the Presbyterian Church. I, I recited the shorter Westminster Catechism at 12. I was in yeah. the elders examined me. I walked the aisle, got my Bible with my name engraved in gold. And I never connected to that, but that was my family. Uh, we had a Methodist church across the street uh, where at that point in my yeah. life. And um, I knew my older brother was good Presbyterian. He would talk about those heathens <laughs> that parked in our front yard. You know? <laughs> and uh, But I, I just didn't, you know, I just never connected with that. So I really never asked the questions. I, I, I just sort of just floated through all of that and, and, uh, as I moved on into college, I got involved in the usual stuff and, and uh, drugs, alcohol, drag race cars. I almost killed several times uh, and girls. And I mean, it was, I was an artist. Uh, so it was a little wild back in those days. I had developed what I call the ditch theory. I, I'm, I only saw the road as I passed over it. <laughs> I don't know if you can identify with that, but when I found that I was doing too little, I would dive across the road and do too much. Right. That's why, you know, the extremes of the faith movement right. were perfect for me. I mean, it was a total ditch. Yeah. It was the height of performance, you know, orientation to me. You had to hold your mouth right. You couldn't say right. what you couldn't say. You couldn't, <laughs> the rules were tight. <laughs> I know from talking with you, at that point, you were immersed in this fundamental approach to the nature of God. And you were out in the middle of the wilderness, right? Out in the middle of the boonies, women were wearing the skirts. Yes. When I was in the faith movement, I was a part of a group. We didn't go to doctors and we didn't have insurance and we didn't borrow money. And I particularly was very proud of what I didn't do. <laughs> At that point, I had all uh, convictions and no opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you know what that kind of person is. I probably wouldn't have liked you at that point in time. No. Uh, I'm guessing. Oh, I don't know if you would like me now, but no, I don't think you would like me yet. <laughs> but I, like I said, I had all of, I had all convictions and no opinions. So if you didn't agree with me, the chances are we weren't going to get along. Today. Right. <laughs> and um, at that point, I, Wendy and I decided to have another child. I had swapped a dog for a child. 
um, some years earlier in a compromise. <laughs> and um, so anyway, we, we decided to have another child. And uh, Nathan was three days overdue, and we woke up one morning, and he was dead. Wow. And he had, he was a full-term, fully developed little boy. He was perfect. Mm. So we went to the hospital and delivered him. Wow. And uh, I don't know if there's anything more gut-wrenching than that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe an older child would be more difficult. Thank God I had not had to go through that one. When I was holding Nathan after he was delivered, I knew that I didn't have any idea who God was. Right, right. I mean, I didn't know whether he'd caused it, whether it passed his hand, mm-hmm. whether he, I mean, I just, I was clueless. And at that moment, the questions first started. Okay, you know, I said to God, can, can we please start over? I believe you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a starting point. I, I believe you exist. Right. You know, that's about as deep as I could go. Yeah. And so the question sort of naturally came, who are you? Why did you create? What do you want? You know, who am I? How do I participate in whatever this is that you were doing? I don't know that I'd ever seriously asked those questions. Mm-hmm. So that pivotal moment when you're facing the darkest, the deepest pain in your life, that took you down a different road. I know you, you've shared with me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that took you down a different road. I know into our into our lives 20 years ago in the meeting of Baxter. Tell us that journey. A lot of folks call it the deconstructing, reconstructing journey, but really it's just a repenting, discovering the nature of God journey. Share with us a little bit of that story. I was probably about, I was about, it was, this whole ministry trip was my 30s. So I was probably in the middle of my 30s. Okay. And one day I was going downtown to meet a friend. I had uh, come to know we were going to have lunch. And when you get on the interstate in Brandon, you're about 20 miles, I guess, on the I-20 into Jackson. And I was going down to the DGB Plaza. It was a 20-story office building. And I could see the top of the building above the trees. And for some reason, I picked up my thumb and I held it up and put it between the building and me, and I could block the entire building out. So I drove downtown, parked on the sidewalk right next to this 20-story office building, got out on the sidewalk, and I had the same impression. So I lifted up my thumb and held it between me and the wall, and I couldn't even cover a brick. And so I looked up into the sky, and this 20-story building towering over me, and I realized in that moment that my God was too small. Mm, Wow. And at first I thought the answer, I was still in answer mode, the answer was distance. I had to figure out how to get closer. That was obviously the problem, and that was the answer. And that was going to transform my life in ministry is this little insight I had. But what it was was the exact opposite. That was the beginning of the end. Every it, Fall was coming. Everything began to die. All the leaves began to drop. Um, within a couple of years, I was just dry as, as a brittle stick. And my wife had decided that she didn't want to compete with ministry anymore. Sure. Ministry was an idol for me at that point. Yeah. My whole identity was tied up in it. And so I lived it. I could hardly make a living for my family. Of course, in the faith movement, you couldn't get paid. So, you know, I, uh, so anyway, so I just, uh, so anyway, she gave me a choice. I could choose her or I could choose ministry. Yeah. And I, I chose her. 
And my mentor told me that God would never use me again if I did that. Wow. So I lost my, I lost the ministry. I lost my mentor. And when he rejected me, everyone in the small church did as well. Yeah. So you lost your community. In a matter of weeks, we had our 10 acres lived out in the woods. Uh, we were going to do the uh, Mother Earth thing, grow our own, cut our own, burn our own kind of lifestyle. And then faith movement jumped in. So anyway, within two weeks, I was in another world. We had sold that house miraculously even before it got on MLS. Uh, I was taken to meet a man that I would then work with for about 10 years. I w I'm an artist and a sign person. And so I would go back to work and we would put our kids in a private school. I mean, it was just an apple cart turnover. Wow. And so at that moment, my identity left. Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe 10 years before I stopped trying to continue to get one. Right. Uh, I, I, it was over, but I, it wasn't over. Right. You know uh, yeah. It haunts you. I was, ha I was hanging in there. Man. Uh, yeah. I, I told you my gift was stubbornness. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I kid with my kids, you know, it's a way of identifying with my children. Every one of my children are stubborn. My middle daughter, we just called her God, Anna. <laughs> um, you couldn't tell her anything. I mean, when God is stubborn, it's relentless love. that won't let us go. I don't think that was what I had at that point. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, right before it all collapsed, when, when these prophet guys were coming into town, and some of us decided we would go listen to them. And so I got called out in this little meeting and this guy, here I live out in the country, 10 acres, you know, this house I designed and built. And this guy says, I see, I see a row of mailboxes. And he started to go into this prophecy. And I thought, what? I'll never leave these woods. I, what are you talking about, a row of mailboxes? I can't even see another mailbox when I stand on the street in front of my house. And uh, so after I collapsed, all this fell, I was, uh, we had moved into a house in Clinton which was the opposite side of Jackson. And I stood up on that second story uh, bedroom and I looked down the street and I'll be damned if it wasn't a row of mailboxes. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, that held me in place because it let me know that God knew right. Right. somehow where right. I was going even before it happened. And even though I didn't like any of this, I, I somehow had a sense that I was still connected. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so anyway, so it all fell. And, and the Sunday, the last Sunday in that little church, um, Derek, I was sitting there and, and my I was going to go to church. My wife had gone to a retreat with a woman um, a minister was doing for the ladies at another church. And she said, you've got to come hear this lady. Her name is Fuchsia Pickett. She was from up in your neighborhood. And Fuchsia, Fuchsia was quite prophetic. And so anyway, she stood me up in that crowd that morning and said there was two things that I was going, that I needed to understand. She didn't know anything about me. I mean, I was just a person in the room. And uh, she said, one is you got to stop reading into the book. And you've got to start reading out of the book. And the second one was balance. Now, balance to me was a dirty word. Balance mm -hmm. was mixture. Mm -hmm. It was gray. No, how do you balance faith and unbelief? Mm -hmm. Balance? 
I mean, this had to be from hell somewhere. Hmm. Okay, so I leave, you know. And sure enough, I'd pick up my old King James or whatever, and I couldn't read anything fresh. All I could hear was what I had been told it said. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I could not break out. I just, I just heard the echoes of my mentor and all of that in every, so I went out and bought a message. That was as extreme <laughs> as I could find. It was only yeah. a new testament back then. You, you, you definitely went from ditch to ditch on that, on that move right there. I did. I'm still a ditch dweller, brother. I'm not sure I've delivered from that yet. No, that was, I think that was a good move. <laughs> So I, yeah, so I would get. I was in Galatians one time, and I would. I went and got my King James off of the shelf to make sure I was still reading the Bible. That's that, you know that's how. <laughs> uh, that religious boy was having a hard time with this, oh, but anyway, man. it opened a whole that's new world. Man. I mean, I could actually hear or see something new. Wow! And and so anyway, so then. Shortly after that's when we decided to have Nathan and then Nathan died. Wow. And that was when I would, I guess you would say I broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, at that point, I, I didn't know how to even function in the old world. To this day, I've seen miracles and all kinds of stuff. And, but I don't know how to do that. Any, I don't know how to live in that world anymore without doing it the way I did it before. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's ruined things. I, I'm sure God can resurrect them, but at this point, they haven't. But anyway, so um, I started just moving in a in a new direction at that point, and yeah, um, I started reading like you guys. I listened to y'all's love fest that y'all had a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just. That was a love fest, right? Y'all, I mean, it was amen. Y'all, the choir was just go singing, and y'all were amen and uh, preach it, brother. Come on, uh, that was good. <laughs> y'all don't even need a gift. <laughs> so, Dale, I have a I have a question and a and a thought that I want you maybe to elaborate on. Sure. Just in regards to that experience of tragedy with your son, mm-hmm. your stillborn son, and at that point it absolutely obviously breaking you, but um, having to rethink God at that time as did this pass through your hands? Did you cause this? Did you know all of those questions that start coming that aren't supposed to come in the faith environment? Those questions aren't, aren't necessarily allowed. Where did you start to get language for this in rethinking God? Cause one of the quotes on your um, page on Front Porch Theology, uh, and it's by an unknown uh, source, but it says this, we do not appreciate the one who tells us something new as much as the one who puts into words that which we know is true, but have been unable to articulate for ourselves. Where did you start getting language about God that was more in line with what you have rethought and believe about him now? Well, I, of course, I had no sense of grace. That was probably my starting point. I don't even know that I was prepared to talk about love at that point or relationship. Yeah. It was just really stopping performing and trying to just relate at some level. It, it was grace that first encountered me, and the message is wonderful mm-hmm. in portraying the message of grace. 
that quote, I think, is Oswald Chambers. I've hunted for it from most for his house, but I can't find it. I probably couldn't even read Oswald Chambers today. It would probably just kill me. <laughs> but uh, Careful. <laughs> yeah. I think our entire Baptist uh, listening audience just checked out. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. They're all, they're all at the convention right now anyway. That's they're right. not listening. <laughs> or the, the Imitation of Christ by Kempis, right? Hey, Kempis. Mm. Um, uh, Leonard Ravenhill on repentance. I mean, you, some of those people were just ingrained in yeah. my life in those early years. Yeah. Um, uh, they're tough, man. There's some tough stuff in there. Yeah. I, I, unlearning is a, is a real challenge. I, yeah. You know, I, I, but it was really slow uh, for me. I, actually, I think the breaking point was when I started to ask those several questions uh, that day when Baxter and Boyd and everybody, we were all in that living room. That I, what I popped off and said was, is that I had come to know that the only place I was going to get any understanding of this life was if I knew God before time. Yeah. If I knew who God was before Genesis 1-1. Mm. I didn't have an answer to that, but that was the burning question. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Yeah. And so here's Baxter sitting in the room. He's writing the great dance at the time. <laughs> and so I go in, we go into the kitchen to have potluck and Baxter walks up to me and he says, I don't hear people talk like that that much. Where did you get that from? And of course I had no idea where I got it from. It was just a question that had risen in my heart. Uh-huh. McDonald says um, that God places the questions in our heart and the answers are in him Mm -hmm. and that we seek and knock and ask in order to find those answers in him. And that was, that was where I was. Yeah. I now had a whole lot of uh, questions. Yeah. And so when I would get a little bit of an answer, I realized that it wasn't an answer like it had been before. Yeah. It was just opened up a whole new set of questions. <laughs> it's like, oh God, mm-hmm. if that's true, what about? Right. And they would start up, you know. Yeah. And you would feel more lost than you did before you got your little answer. <laughs> I love Paul Young's statement. I think it's in Eve. He said, one question is worth a thousand answers. That's mm-hmm. good. And I, I realized when he's after spending some time with that, I realized what he's saying is talking about the person who has come to the place to where they ask, seek, and knock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hadn't done much of that during, I was 40 before I started really doing that. So the, really the questions come out of brokenness. They come out of failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they come, they, you know, they come out of all of the lies and that you'd been told and all yeah. the things you had believed yeah. and all the things you had told and believed. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. So at that point, I was just I was just starting to open up, and so th- so these questions would lead. And so when I met Baxter, I I was ready. Yeah, guys. I, I mean, I, I I I was as open to someone telling me something as I had ever been in my life. Right. And Baxter was the perfect guy <laughs> at that moment because Baxter's about as stubborn as you are. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, Baxter and I have a real good running love-hate relationship. One time I told, him, I told Jebby, I said, I just love to hate him. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, I, you know, so I got in and we would have these Bible studies at people's houses and he would come and bring the great dance and he would read it and we would talk about it. And that was my introduction to the Trinitarian faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I had grown up with the Trinity. It was steam, water, and ice, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's really deep stuff there, brother. Um, but I, I went to Trinity Presbyterian Church. So our Trinity had been a word my whole life, but it meant nothing. Yeah. I had no concept of what Trinity was or what it, it did it even matter. Yeah. And so here comes this guy, Baxter from Prentice. I mean, Prentice is not, probably didn't have a stop sign back then, right. unless it was a dirt road coming up onto some, you know, back road Mississippi highway. Uh -huh. um, so Baxter is, is it, I, I read the little parable. I don't know if you've ever read. That's the smallest book Baxter's ever written. Okay. Um, and InterVarsity Press sells it in one of their little mini racks in Christian bookstores. I think they took like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand wow. of the of the parable. It's the Luke fifteen, mm -hmm. and that little story just transformed my life. The point of the story is about the father. Yeah. The point isn't about whether you are the the prodigal or yeah. the religious boy. Yeah. The point is, is what the father is about. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Baxter yeah. brings this out in the in the parable. Yeah. And he shows you that it's it's the father's heart. So the, the father is willing to die in the parable right. in order to give his inheritance to his two, two sons. And then his son takes the inheritance and leaves, and the other son owns everything. Yeah. So the father waits, watches, and looks for his son to return. The son's got his repentance speech ready. He's ready to go, and Papa won't listen. He's calling out, get the road, get the rain, get the sandals, yeah, yeah, kill yeah, the calf. Yeah. Yeah. This is party time. Yeah. And so you realize in this moment in Luke 15 that the the lost sheep belong to the father, the coins belong to the father, and the sons belong to the yeah, father. Yeah. And when that breaks into your heart, That's the truth. all of a sudden you realize, man, I am connected to everyone yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, I mean, it just shifts the whole paradigm of life. It's like taking right. a prism and turning from red light to blue light right. or to green. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, whoa, you know, and, and so th that's what Baxter did. He prophetically painted a picture of God for me. Yeah. That uh, image that I could grab yeah. and I call it the puzzle box top. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had been trying, I'd been assembling all these puzzle pieces over my life, the jigsaw puzzle pieces, and they were all disconnected. They, they, I laid, I would look at them on my table, so to speak. Yeah. And well, that one doesn't fit with that one. And that one doesn't fit with, but I believe yeah. them all, you mm -hmm. know, and they were just jointed and broken and they were truth to me, but I had no idea. I had never seen a box top that allowed me to assemble the pieces that had come yeah. to my heart. That's a good, that's a good picture. It is a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden Baxter paints this picture 
And it's like, oh, that's part of the frozen pond, and that's the barn, and that's the sky. <laughs> Look at that. That's sky. Yeah. I can yeah. put these pieces with those pieces. And, yeah. It's a Thomas Kincaid in, in the world. I, I'm, I'm seeing a Thomas Kincaid, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's amazing what the relational connection to father, that mm-hmm. picture, I mean, that's in my journey as well. And we talked about this. Yes. It's okay. Jesus is perfect. Theology. There's these things you get that are beautiful, but it's Jesus came to reveal the father. Yeah. And and when you get the Father, when you realize the goodness of the Father, that relational context, that is the the picture, that is the the top or the puzzle box top, the, the box puzzle top, box, the box top. That's the yeah. Every one thousand piece puzzle's got a box top. Yeah. I mean, how would you put it together without one? Right. And, but we spend most of our lives trying to assemble it, or somebody comes along and says, "Hey, I know what the box top is." Right. That was the Presbyterians. They started me. Oh, we know what the box. Yeah, was. right. Then when I got when, when I got born again, then they told me that. Oh no no no! It's the you pray the prayer and you you perform and if you if you repent, you know that. Oh, I got a new box top. Yeah. Well, when I got good at reading scripture, I created some of my own. I mm-hmm. was pretty good at box tops. <laughs> I, I I had so many idols that I had created, fashioned after my own or other people's thinking. Yeah, And so then here comes Kruger. I mean, you know, like a baseball bat in a practice field. He's slinging this thing and just tearing me up, man. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's wrecking all of this stuff. But he's giving me something to put in its place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I start assembling this, this new image of father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm still here so, 25 years later, yeah. you know, it's, it's still coming in, in layers. Yeah. You know, it's like peeling an onion. You, yeah, you yeah. see father, but then again, you know, life happens and then a layer peels off and you go, Oh yeah, it's all new again. And, it, and you just keep peeling. It's, it's a layers of revelation and insight that, that never exhausted. I guess that's eternity. Yeah. yeah it's this measureless revelation. And, I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast, but the the moment where I have an en- encounter with the Father, that where He basically tells me that Jesus lived from a measureless, not for it. Yes, you know, He He lived from this measureless place, which all of a sudden, like you said, it's just one layer after another of His goodness, of His love, of His kindness, of His patience, all of it transformative along the way. And your love is- Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for just a minute so I can invite you to partner with us by giving to A Family Story. A Family Story is a 501, a nonprofit, and it's our ministry. And it's what allows for me to produce this podcast and other regular content. We've been living this faith journey for a long time, but 2014 was when we officially stepped away from the traditional pastoring approach to full-time ministry. It's been fun. This journey's been wild. And this last year was no less faith-inducing with COVID affecting travel and speaking. And it's been good, because hey, we started a podcast. Our passion is to create content catalytic for an encounter with the always good, transforming, reconciling love of our Heavenly Father. And so our heart through this ministry has always been that through speaking, writing, film, and music, we're relentlessly sharing the goodness of our Father, the good news. Your giving goes directly to support this podcast, as well as written content, 
discipleship content, teaching small group messages, articles that we release weekly, and also the book I'm writing. I'm excited about what I'm chasing down right now. We appreciate all the support, whether it's sharing, writing a review, following us, signing up for our email list, or financially. We just love being on the journey with you. If you want to give to A Family Story, you can go to afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org, and click on the Give button. All right, thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. I want to get to what you're doing now. One of the reasons I wanted to connect people to you is, right, you've got front porch theology, you blog, and you paraphrase George McDonald's works as unspoken sermon which we have our books here by the way brought them, us brought our I, I mean <laughs> talk about a book I, I read this like I used to read Oswald Chambers, Oswald Chambers yeah. yes this is I mean Oswald Chambers did some great things for me in Bible college and probably like you like you if I were to go back I might go oh yeah <laughs> I might find some things but but I read this like I used to read Oswald Chambers sure and it's so much life in it and it's foundationally about the father yes it's foundationally about relationship. It's foundationally that is what George uh, was doing. So how did you how did you find yourself? What you're doing now, paraphrasing because it is it's a hundred years old. The language is a little bit rough, uh, tough to slog through uh, for us us non academics. Yeah. Um, well, how did you find yourself here doing this? Because this is a this is a beautiful work, bro. Well, surprise, surprise. His name is C. Baxter Kruger. I, hate <laughs> I, I, I posted something recently on a, uh, the, uh, uh, a site and, and the, somebody pinged back and said, you sound like Kruger. And I just shook my head. <laughs> yes, I <sound> like <laughs> How could I not sound like Kruger? <laughs> um, I was introduced to his stories when I was introduced to Baxter, yeah. uh, Dan Wills, whose house we were at, introduced me to McDonald's novels. And so I read, I don't know, a dozen or more, the beauty of those stories. But I, no one told me about the sermons. Um, I, I, I went bankrupt and um, life has been difficult. Um, I, I finally recovered from bankruptcy and then I I sold the business and bought a 34-foot sailboat and moved to Panama City. Wow. So <laughs> I was running good, bro. Um, I, I know how to crash and burn. I'm, I'm good at that. <laughs> I got sick and down in Florida. I, I was diagnosed with lupus. Mm. And um, I couldn't sleep, and I, I took Ambien. I could sleep as long as the drug worked. I began to have some fatigue that I couldn't remember anything anymore. I used to laugh and tell people I had put my driver's license on the mirror at night. So when I woke up in the morning, I could remember who I was. Ah, right. I'm Dale. Yeah, that was a great way to start the day. You know, it helps. <laughs> um, but I was getting to that place myself at that point. And my daughter um, had a late term stillborn. Mm. And she called mm. um, and told Wendy and I, my movement into fall and winter was happened there when Nathan died. That's when winter started. And so Anna calls and we're going into the hospital. Um, and so Wendy and I just, we just grab some underwear and jump in the car and head to Atlanta. And so we get there and, and uh, Harrison's delivered. Of course he's dead. And I was so brain dead 
I don't know what I thought, but I didn't carry any dress clothes. I didn't carry a suit. I didn't have a belt. I mean, I didn't, you know. Um, and Anna doesn't have a church, so she says, Daddy, will you do the funeral? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, you know. Uh, so, I, you know, I can't remember anything at this point in time. And, and so I try to figure out and write notes or write something or, yeah. And I just finally give up. I'll borrow clothes from everybody so I'll have something to wear. And we end up on this hill. Um, I don't know if you've been in children's cemeteries, but they're all little flat plaques. Mm. And so they put, put us up on top of this hill under a tent. It's raining. And um, they cover with that green uh, yeah. fake rug stuff all of the gravestones. And so I'm standing on top of some children's stones and uh and i I, and i and i haven't been able i only know one thing and that's what carried me through when nathan died and that's that through the placenta nathan had received the breath of god he had received the life of god and that even though i didn't get to relate to him and we didn't as we hoped that he was alive and that one day I would meet him mm. and that we would have a life together once again. Yeah. And so somehow something along that line came out of me standing there under that tent on that hill in the rain. And I think there was more water inside the tent that day than outside. By the time we walked down to the cars, I don't, don't know that I remembered what I said. People came and hugged me and thanked me. That was the day that the first green leaf showed up. Hmm. That was when the season changed. Hmm. And I I contacted Baxter the the day that I was told that it was, we drove to Atlanta. I hadn't talked to him in a, for a while and, and we just talked some. And so shortly after that, we made the decision to come back Two of my older kids live here. And so I, I no more got here than I called Krug and, and uh, we went and had lunch and he says, Hey, look, I'm, I do this Tuesday night thing. And uh, it went against his better judgment. He should have never asked me. I mean, <laughs> he, he regrets it to this day, but he asked me to come to Tuesday night. So there were about four or five guys. And this was sort of, this is where Kruger can be Kruger, you know, and, yeah. and it, it's really is about him as much as it is about all of us, yeah. we drink beer and, and he chews tobacco. I don't you? And we would talk and he, he decided what we were going to do is we were going to work through the unspoken sermons. Okay. So he reached over on the shelf, pulled that book, Roland Hines edition, handed it to me, gave me the list of the sermons in the order they were written and said, we're going to do them in the order they're written. And we started, he said, next week we'll talk about child in the mid. So I read that thing five times. I, don't, I think on the fourth time through, I made a mark. I don't think I had any idea what the man was talking about. And so we would come in and when Kruger started talking, everybody started talking, I started seeing. And over a year, we read those sermons. Wow. When I got done with that year, I realized that it wasn't the, the quotes everybody loves. It's the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
he has a puzzle box mm-hmm. that you can't receive yeah. the depth of. Yeah. I mean, he sees the Father in with such clarity. Yeah. And the Trinity working together. So as I'm doing these paraphrases, the reason I'm doing them is I want people to make it to the end of the book. Yeah. When I talk to people, you know, I'll be, I was in a men's retreat one time and I went around to about 100 people and I said, have y'all ever read, you know, George McDonald's? I said, oh, I bought it. Uh, I started it. Yeah. Um, I, I've read the four. Um, yeah. I gave up. I mean, if I hadn't been in a group, I don't think I could have done it. Yeah. And so to me, it's the big picture. Yeah. Uh, that The vision that McDonald casts. And so I began to write them and mainly they were for me. Uh, Derek, you asked me about the um, language. Mm -hmm. When I started reading MacDonald, it was like, he knows these things that rummaged around in my heart and soul. It's like, wow. I I mean, he's talking about it. I mean, he's, yeah. You know, it was, it was like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. Here, this guy was a hundred years ago and he's writing this stuff and this, this stuff is alive. Yeah. Um, I I became a pirate three years ago. I steal and the treasures (laughs) are giving me free reign to plunder heaven and all of his, my predecessors for all of the gold (laughs) and jewels of the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And plundering McDonald is probably some of the richest riches that I've ever encountered. Yeah, yeah. When I would go to start putting words, the interpreting part made me not, I couldn't pass over something. I might in the end abridge it out, but I I would have to read it and understand it before I could say, no, I'm not going to include it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Roland Hines' book excludes about 35% of the original. I didn't know that. He doesn't change a single word. He just abridges it. Right. He cuts out four sermons. Uh, one of my, uh, I, I hate to say I have a favorite, but the higher faith is one of my favorites. And that quote I said earlier that God puts the questions in your heart and and the answer is his. The, the higher faith is the third sermon in the series. It's not in Roland Hines' book. Okay. That's his autobiography. He's talking about, he calls them the dull disciples. He was being trained in a Presbyterian school of the, by memorizing the Westminster Catechism. Mm. And he would, he's referring to them as the dull disciples, the ones who don't understand what they're reading. And mm. when they read the scriptures, who, and so he comes all excited about seeing God and they go, oh, we can't know anything about that. It's not in the book. Hmm. So McDonald is giving a little bit of his own story about how he encountered this vast father through nature and through his own right. father and how he began to process that. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. And so then he moves on in and says that faith doesn't belong to you. Hmm. See, I had always measured mine. I don't know about y'all. Y'all probably did. Oh, no, I have a great. <laughs> you got a good stick? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, how much have I got? Let's see, you know, <laughs> where am I? All of a sudden, I realized that Galatians 2.20 in the OKJV 
You know, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of. Right. Yeah. Not in. Right. Of. Yeah. The Son of God. What? My faith is the faith of. Right. The Son of God is not Dale's faith. Yeah. I mean, it was like, just blew my doors open. Yeah. And the, and the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, I grew up in a premier faith ministry and worked there for 10 years. And I was always taught that faith is like a muscle or a gas tank. And you can exercise it to make it grow. And you can go from believing for a pair of socks to your own jet airplane. Um, it was a fuel tank and you gauged where your faith was based on your word level. And the more word, the more faith word, of course, referred to the text of the Bible, not to Jesus himself, uh, which I now distinguish and tell people very confidently. I love the word of God. Talk about scriptures instead of the word. Yeah. I love the word of God. And I like my Bible too, but I think what I've come to realize and what I hear you saying is if this is indeed living by the faith of the Son of God, then faith is more of a positional thing than it is a fuel tank or a muscle. And that is even the smallest mustard seed size of faith that's been planted in all humanity uh, very clearly, and it, it belongs to Jesus, needs to be fully placed in a Father that loves you unconditionally. And so I don't look at faith so much anymore as a a fuel tank or a muscle or something that can grow and develop. It's a position that I take and put a hundred percent of whatever faith I profess to have the faith of Jesus that dwells within me. And I'm going to put it in this position called my father loves me. And because of that, then God begins to identify those that have faith. I'm not the one that identifies my faith, my level or my maturity, or all that. All I do is put 100% of my trust and belief in a father that loves me, and God looks down and says, hey, that's my kid. Look at that faith. That's amazing faith. So I don't even really get to define it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I like to tell people when they start, they come at me about, you know, Jason, I identify with people coming after you. Is something wrong with you? Did you drink too much or was it something you fell and hit your head when you were little or, you know, what happened to you? You used to be a nice guy, right? You used to know the truth. Um, I, I'm unfortunately I identified too well with that kind of conversation. But I asked people when they come to me with these kind of this, this evangelical path. And I said, now, when did you become your parents' child? Mm-hmm. What age were you? What age were you smart enough and new enough to become, to tell your parents that you wanted to be their child? Right. What did you exactly do so you could become their child, their son or daughter? What, what did you do? Um, and people, you know, they, of course, they look at you like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, that's how stupid this is. I decided to have five children. My wife and I decided that we wanted to share something with someone else. We were the ones who exercised that decision. And when that child came, that child was loved by us from the moment we began to think about and imagine that child. And there's not anything, you know, 
I had one of my children for four years. I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know where they worked. I did not have their phone number. Hmm. But that child couldn't do anything about the fact that I was their father. Yeah. That that was not their decision. They didn't. Yeah. There wasn't any point where they made that, could make that choice. That wasn't, I never gave them that choice. They belonged to me. Yeah. They, that's my blood that runs through them. I have no butt. And my <laughs> kids have no butts. And I remind my kids all the time, you got that from me. Of course, they say that anything bad, they got it from me. And I said, well, that's great. That just means that you belong to me. They're marked. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and to think that someone is going to make that decision. Right. That the God of the universe didn't decide to have you, not by the will of the flesh, but the will of God. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and I think that goes back to your point, Dale, which I think is so, so very insightful and I think it's just an awesome thing that you had this this revelation, this insight to ask the question about knowing the God before time, because that brings you into this space of everything came out of him, by him, through him, including the fact that he chose to become one of us to rescue all of us. And now a human lives in that relationship and all humanity has been brought back into that relationship. Absolutely. The vicarious life. Or or is no longer blind to the fact that they are in that relationship. So it's that awakening. Well, I've been baptized four times. <laughs> I was sprinkled. I was dunked in a pool. I was dunked in a pond. I had I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've been I finally got baptized, if you can believe that. It was two thousand years ago. Mm. And it was in a muddy river in, in called the Jordan. <laughs> and the Father and the Spirit was there. I went down into the water. Yeah. I came up. He didn't need a baptism, but I did. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. He didn't need to die, but yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't need to rise to where he had already been, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I needed to ascend. He didn't. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, a friend of mine, Julian Fagan, makes a statement. He says, where you begin is where you end. If you start with a single, a mo- if you're a monotheist, which most of us are in our practical theology, we, we believe in one God. It's Zeus. He's got a throne. Right. He created because he needed someone to show his glory. That's what the Westminster right. Catechism tells you. Yeah. That you're here to show the forth the glory of God. And when you're yeah. not showing it, you're not doing your job. Uh, so you carry the burden of having to show God's glory, right? I mean, that's a burden nobody can keep, nobody can do. So if that's the God that's on the throne, if that's where you're going to start, that's where you're going to end. That's mm-hmm. what heaven's going to look like. That's what, I mean, where you start is where you're in. But if you start with Trinity, mm-hmm. and not just Trinity, but Father, and not just son, but brother Hmm. and sister spirit. If you start with father, son, and spirit, then life is there. It exists from the get go. Right. To me, it is the irreducible truth is, isn't love, even though I'm parsing words just for the sake of making a point, it's relationship before love can be expressed. There has to be more than one. Mm Mm-hmm. The God that's alone in heaven doesn't love anybody. Right. He creates out of need. Yeah, right. 
the Trinity don't they don't need anything. Right. They they have life and they have it in abundance. They have fellowship and before there was anything. I love I love no thing, all things, if everything in God before there were things there was life. And where you and I are going to go back to is that life. Mm-hmm. That's where it all started. MacDonald says in the in his sermon Life, which I think is 20, he says that there's no water uh, in oxygen, there's no water in hydrogen, but there's water that flows from the imagination of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so God is sitting there, the Father, Son, and Spirit, Spirit are sitting there, and we want to share this. This is too good for us to just have it by ourselves. Now, this is Kruger-esque. you got to forgive me. If it sounds like Kruger, it is. And so here we are. So it, they say, "Let we we gonna we gonna create, so we can share. We want children that are like us who can who can choose. We don't want robots. We want we want people that can choose to love and choose to love us back. Choose to be in relationship with us as we choose to be in relationship with one another. And so everything that was going to come, this was not." In ex nihilo, mm-hmm. creation doesn't come from nothing. It comes from the heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit. What they imagined is what appeared. I've become a creationist in my old age. I think that God laid it all out in his mind. He thought of what it was that he wanted. And the Son is the, the word, the, the expression of the Father speaks it mm-hmm. into being. And the Holy Spirit hovering over yeah. the void creates it. Yep. And it's just what the Father thought. That's why John begins his gospel the way he begins it, is because he wants to take you to a place really before yeah. creation, before Genesis. Yeah. And because, I mean, most most religion starts in Genesis 3. Yes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's the starting place. And if that's the starting place, then like if your theory is true, then that's the ending place for everybody. Yeah. But it goes beyond that. It starts earlier that's than good. that. And what was a good God to do but to come yes. and become his creation that yeah. he loved? Yeah. And that's that's where the good news starts getting really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis 3.23, sin's been discovered. God has just cursed the serpent and he turns to adam and eve verse 23 god is speaking and obviously he's speaking to the the son and the spirit and he turns and he says now man is like one of us mm-hmm. now stop stop now he says now man this is the fall brothers this is what we were told was the end of everything. It is the plan B now has to go into effect. Jesus is going to have to come. I mean, you know, he, they got a fix. They didn't see it happening, right? You know, so here it is. He turns and he says, son, spirit, now that now the man is like us. He knows the difference between good and evil. And now we're going to have to protect him. We're going to have to take him out of the garden because we don't want him to eat the fruit and live forever in this condition. Mm. Now, this isn't judgment, guys. Right. In fact, I would be willing to say 
that death is not the end. It is redemptive. Yeah. Adam didn't live forever in his fallen state. I'm not saying anything that did, we didn't fall. I'm not saying that sin didn't come. I'm saying Adam, when Jesus died, the first thing he did after he died was to go down into hell and preach the gospel. And you know who was in that crowd? Adam. Yep. Right. Adam heard the gospel preached by Jesus the moment after he died, and he led those captives trained to heaven mm-hmm. to be with his father. He reached back and got Adam's story wasn't over that day. Our That's story right. wasn't over that day. He moved yeah. forward. Everything was flowing out of him. Again, we're back to before time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These is the lamb slain for that foundation yeah. of the world. That's good. <laughs> so there's just something just beautiful about going back into that. Um, that last sermon, the, the, the uh, uh, relational storm, um, that last blog I wrote, uh, I'm, I, what I've come to realize is, is that I don't, uh, Derek, before this little blog, I'd only heard you uh, on the podcast. And saw your little picture in the corner over there. Uh, he, Jason should give you better billing, but <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't. I, I can't truly say that I have loved you. Hmm. I mean, I haven't had the chance. Love is something I would do in relationship to you. I, I could probably actually exercise some love your direction at the moment that I couldn't have maybe an hour or so ago when this started. But I, I can know that, that you and I are the same, mm. that we have a common father, that, our, that we're made in the same image and likeness, that we are connected to one another mm-hmm. in a bond that was not created by me and can't be broken by me. Right. Yeah. And that, that when I meet you, I'm meeting Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and yeah. Derek yeah. all at one time. I'm not doing yeah. that when I do with Jason. I mean, not I, I see every time I see this. But you see what I'm saying? So before I could express love, I could be connected. Right. That is the irreducible truth. Yeah. yeah. And McDonald hammers home that the cause of all of our problems is, is the fact that we will not accept our common fatherhood. Mm, yeah. So we can say, oh, I don't like them. They're yeah. a different color than me. Yeah. They use a different language. They dress funny. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't believe what I believe. Yeah. They don't know yeah. the name I know. Yeah. I mean, they didn't do what I did. Yeah. They didn't say the prayer I said, you know, and they didn't have to work like I had to work to get here. Yeah. You know, I mean, how could they get be in like me? Right. And we create all these ins and outs. But when we really come to the place where I can look at you two guys, you can look at me and say, we're, we're one. We were one before we ever yeah. knew we were one. Right. Yeah. That's it. I, what I do to you is what I do to my Lord and Savior. I mean, yeah. I, all of a sudden now love is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Love is not an it. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an event that happens when, when I let what's in me out. Yeah. And if, you know, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And that, that becomes uh, that common frame that we all have of being human and created in the image of God. You know, I think a big thing that's happening right now in our culture is 
are you affirming of this race? Are you affirming of this lifestyle? Are you affirming of my maleness or my femaleness? And I really think we've lowered the bar because there's only one thing that connects all of us and all of those things that we use to divide, which cause fear and separation. The, the act of being human is the one thing that God said, I affirm. I affirm yes. humanity. And here's how I'm going to do it by becoming one of you. Yes. <laughs> becoming my creation. And so I've just been on this, I've just been a thought experiment for me right now, and I'm, I'm developing it a little more, but um, I'm letting people know straight up from the beginning. Uh, I'm human affirming. If you come to me and you're going to ask me, uh, do you affirm this? Do you affirm that? And what they're really saying is, uh, you know, what are you I, I need you to be uh, in agreement with my truth and I need you to celebrate it. Yes. Well, there's one truth that I will celebrate with everybody on this planet. And that is you're a human. He's a person. You're a human being. Yeah. And if God affirms you, so do I. Yeah. That's right. And that's where love becomes a decision to br- literally, uh, for me, love is is a decision we can make to bring God on the scene because he is love. Right. And therefore, an act of love is an act of God, introduction of God's presence. So the, the spirit of Christ, as y'all love to say, is inclusion. Mm-hmm. The mirror, I mean, Francoise says it better than anybody does. Yeah, he does. You know, and so that that is the spirit of Christ. It includes everyone and everything. And the Antichrist is separates. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah. So when we see all this political divide and we and we see all of what you're talking about, all that is is the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Are you left? Yeah. Do you agree with my socialist views? Yeah. Do you agree with my conservative? I'm a, I believe in America. Yeah. And and so then we start dividing over whatever. I mean, there's, there's more stuff to divide over than we can ever yeah. dream or yeah. ever imagine or say. Yeah. But but the reality is the spirit of Christ says that you are all in me. Yeah. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in yeah. you, every, every you. Oh, come That's on. It. Don't get me started. All of us. Come That's... on now. And, and so... At that point, you know, I can't sit across from somebody who isn't his child. That's right. That's it. That's I, it. There isn't yeah. anyone. <laughs> yeah. The father decided they would be here. It was by his will that they're here. Yeah. It wasn't incest or love or rape or or, or marriage. Wow. It, it was the father That's who it. brought all of the children That's into it. the planet. They're all his. They're unique and they're special. And and they all need to know that. Yeah. yeah. They need to know who they are and where they come from and whose they are. And we get to, so my question isn't anymore, this is it. <laughs> that was what I spent my first 40 years. Yeah. The Bible is it. Born again is it. Yeah. Gospel is it. Yeah. Faith is it. Yeah. Worship is it. Yeah. I had all my it's and I would fill in this, you know, uh, this is a placeholder, right? This, this before I could say worshiper whatever. Now it's who is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. I replaced this is it. Yeah. I don't even want to say love is it. Yeah. I want, I want, I want them to step one step back and say, no, it's the father and son and the life. Yeah. Then when they created me, their intention is, is that I would have the life that they had before there was anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I mean, that means I don't know what life is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what life is outside of things, outside of this computer, 
outside of this this room I'm in, the air conditioning that's running, the shower I took. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I only relate to everything, but they had life before there was things. Mm-hmm. Anything. And, and so that is a life that we, McDonald closes out his sermon in uh, The Inheritance, and he turns the whole thing on its head, and he starts by talking about share. He said the inheritance of the saints in light is a share. Well, a human share is to have $100,000 and divide it among my 10 children. So everybody gets $10,000, right? The more children, the less you get. God's share is, is that you guys and I, we bring to heaven our unique name written on that white stone, mm. the, the Jason that I'm not and the Derek that I'm not, and I bring what Dale is, and we bring our shares together, and that's heaven. when we mm-hmm. That is the body coming together, all of us mm-hmm. bringing our uniqueness yeah. into oneness and experiencing life together. Mm-hmm. So he tells the story. If you don't mind, I will. it's so brief, I will read it. I call it the kite story. Yep. Um, and I'm not a good reader. Forgive me, I failed the first grade. He says, however, what boy willing to be a disciple of Christ and a child of God would prefer a sermon to his glorious kite? The kite is the most divine of toys, and with God himself as his playmate, watching it together in the blue wind, tossed hither and thither in the golden sky. He might be willing to part with his kite in the wind and the golden sun, and go down into the grave for his brothers and with Jesus, and surely not, but not to be admitted to an eternal uh, prayer meeting. <laughs> for my part, I rejoice to think that there will be neither church nor chapel in the heavenlies. Yes, there will be nothing of religion but its love, and no law but the perfect law of liberty. There is no need for law or religious practice where their every heartbeat expresses the divine where selfishness is too revolting to consider and every voice voice is eager with thanksgiving, where the rushing of these joyful waters is bursting from beneath the throne of God. They bring the joyful tears of the universe, religion. Where will there be room for it, where the existence of every thought is the divine? What place for honesty where love fills the law to overflowing? Here, a person would rather dive into hell than wrong his neighbor in the smallest way. Heaven will be continuous fellowship with God in this relationship, in this very sense of being, is joy. For to experience real life, there must be an actual and conscious contact with its very source. Therefore, this life is simply goodness, as good as the very life of God is good and filled with the joy of our very being. Wow, that's beautiful. That's how he ends 36 sermons. <laughs> yeah. That's he cool. reframes that, brothers, is how it started. Yeah. yeah. The Father, Son, and Spirit on the hill with a kite. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I lo- and then C.S. Lewis brought it, brought that statement into bear that joy is the serious business of heaven. That's it. And uh, I love, I like being serious about joy. Yeah. <laughs> Not being serious about Religion. anything else. Yeah, uh, I can't recommend folks uh, going to Front Porch Theology enough. 
and uh, diving in. I'm, I'm so grateful for what you're doing, bro. So thankful that you're yeah. humbly putting words, uh, bringing today's language uh, around what. Yeah, that's my paraphrase of it. it it's it's yeah. a little easier to hear. Yeah, yeah. what George MacDonald did. And, and I'm, I understand. I mean, that was, well, I read it. It's the same thing that went off in you is the, the hundred years ago, this man was uh, writing these this stuff down and the culture he was in at the time was more difficult than the culture we're in today. Yeah. More hostile. Yeah. I can't fathom the sense of rejection and uh, that he must've walked through. Uh, he had to have been a pretty stubborn fella uh, just like you. So <laughs> I, I think there's something beautiful about a stubbornness uh, when it comes full circle and it's, it's been baptized. That's been baptized in, in, <laughs> the, in the goodness of God yeah. in the Trinity and in, in love. Uh, and I'm grateful that this is what you're doing. And, and that in these uh, latter days of your life, all of the pieces have come together you know, this is the fun thing about God. He wastes nothing. That's right. And all of those things in our lives that that we understood through a lens that was cloudy and filtered, he somehow works it all for good. He pulls it all together. And, and that thing that maybe you had the wrong lens on 25 years ago has now been cleaned up. And he goes, but isn't this beautiful? And this piece goes right here. And this piece goes right here. And and uh, so I'm so grateful. I, there's so many folks that that um, we're we're running with that are listening to the podcast that are in some process in some way, and it's I'm so grateful to guys like you, to guys like Baxter, to some of the folks we have on that that have been faithfully putting language and mm-hmm. putting putting uh, understanding and and doing such a gracious work. I'm, I'm grateful that you're here, man. Yeah, and Dale, I want to say thank you for being. Uh, very vulnerable and open about the tragedy and the grief of your own stillborn son of your daughter's the stillborn birth i think so many people can relate to a grief and a god that meets them in that grief yes. or there's people actually waiting right now for god to meet them in in that grief and he will because he is close to the brokenhearted and it's in those brokenhearted moments i think where we recognize new and fresh ideas and language around god that we couldn't really necessarily get any other way he didn't cause it he's not the author of it and yet through it he says i'm here i love you i'm with you and we rise to to see something new, but we, we do it through other people's stories as well. So I want to thank you for sharing those stories. It was powerful. There's 11 years between uh, Carissa, my youngest and Anna, the, I call them crop one and crop two. <laughs> my older kids always fuss at me because I didn't treat the, Carissa like I treated them. <laughs> I was a Pharisee when they were little. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God help me. The, the most beautiful thing I wouldn't wish, what happened to me on anyone. Right. I've heard Paul Young been asked about his story. I think y'all asked him that, in fact. Yeah, yeah. But I, my, my children have come back to me and say, I'm glad that you're not the man you used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it wasn't for those things, yeah. I probably would be that man. Yeah. And and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah. But I want, I want to say something to you two. I, I love... Something has come to me recently, and and I'm talking to one of the brothers. Y'all both struggle with language, and I want to encourage you to 
wrestle with that. As I've worked with McDonald the last three years or so, um, I've found it as a meeting place with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I sit down and I write down something. I, I pencil everything first. And most of the time I'm thinking faster than I'm writing, so I leave words out and leave phrases out and leave all kinds of stuff out. In fact, if I wait long enough, I don't even realize I wrote it. <laughs> so when I first write it down, I, then, I, then, then something happens and I look at what I wrote and I start to edit it. And I begin to change this nuance and I begin, well, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm. The Spirit and you then are collaborating and being able to put into words something in your voice and your story. Mm. And so by the time you're done writing that paragraph or that phrase or that book or whatever it is, you have fellowshiped and collaborated with yeah. and been in conversation with God yeah. in a way that people that don't take the pain and trouble to do that don't go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. You're, re you're rewarded yeah. with this language because of the fact that you're willing to mud yeah. wrestle <laughs> with your own life and your own words and your own weakness and your own struggle. Yeah, anointing is nothing but my spirit speaking directly to yours. Mm -hmm. And it can only do that when I own it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good, bro. That's good. If I've given anything to anyone today that was anointed, it was because it is life to Dale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Not because I I'm, I'm ascending to <laughs> it or yeah. I like this yeah. version. I, I like Baxter's idea yeah, about yeah. that. That's all bullshit. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't have any life. No. Nobody gets anything no. from it. No. But the minute I have received something and then then it cuts through minds and yeah, that's right. things and goes right into quickens into their heart and their spirit and it says, This is life. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's the truth. And and you guys are really trying to do that. Y'all y'all pull life out of the people you interview. Wow, thanks. I, I have loved lis listening thanks. to you guys. You you make guys dance on the head of a pin naked. <laughs> y'all ask pointed questions. We receive it. You do. You know, a good interviewer draws, you know, it sticks a straw down in somebody and starts sucking. Oh, and, <laughs> and get, you know, you get that bone in there. It's like chewing on a pork bone, you know, pork chop bone. I mean, y'all, y'all get people to talk. Yeah, good. Um, y'all got Kruger to talk. I mean, you know, <laughs> miracles still happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, Paul Young can talk We're... all day and never stop. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Or Brad Zerk. Now that we're talking about sticking straws and things and sucking stuff and eating, <laughs> uh, eating meat and that's the transition. Eating chops and stuff. We need to ask. Oh, okay. We got to ask you about tacos now. You know, <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> what kind of tacos? Are I am a burger guy. Y'all can't come. You're a burger guy? <laughs> I am a burger guy. Okay. I, when I go to, a, when I do, when I do Mexican, I do Tex-Mex. I don't know about that real stuff like y'all eat. <laughs> and when I go there, I'm a fajita boy. All right. Okay. I love, I'm a, I'm a carnivore, man. I get all of that chicken and <laughs> grilled and all those onions. I love grease, man. I roll all that up in that soft tortilla and I put all that cheese. I'm sorry. You know, I always say that denominations are like 
burger joint. That's right. Everybody's got a different burger and fry, right? You know, you our patty's right, never right. frozen. <laughs> our patty is hundred percent all beef. Our, you know, and y'all were really original. Y'all didn't go burger. You went tacos. I mean, who would have ever well, abandoned the franchise altogether, Dale? Because we. Grew- I mean, y'all just off the rails. We grew up in the era of uh, Wendy's, where's the beef? And that's what we would associate with most denominations today. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Y'all have gone off the rails. Y'all are hopeless. There's, not any, there's no chance. To, y'all are not redeemable at this point. Even death can't bring you guys back. That's, that's how bad it is. Oh, my gosh. It's good to have you uh, on, Dale. Tell us, that's just so folks know, it'll all be on the front end, too. But the website is? Front Porch Theology. Uh, frontporchtheology.org. Dot org. I, I try to do it just bit laid back. It's it's me on my little front porch. Yeah. And it's it's just Dale. And um and I always say the biggest compliment, the highest compliment anyone could give me is to not like the way I said it and write it yourself. Mm. <laughs> nice. Good. I want to hear from you. I, I don't I, I don't say that I could have gotten anything right. Being right is overrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just me trying to, you know, share my journey, my life, my thoughts. Um, yeah. And I hope well, I'm going to add to your, I'm going to add to your words right now. Being right is overrated and being certain is a sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I've sinned a lot in the past. I hope I don't <laughs> sin as much as I used to. Hey, love you. Love you too, man. Thankful for, thankful yeah, Dale. for this time with you, man. It's great. Hey guys, we're so glad that you are joining us for season two of Rethinking God with Tacos. Uh, you can find me, Derek Turner, at rivercharlotte.com. That's my church. And I'm on all the social medias yes. as Pastor Derek T. D-E-R-E-K, Pastor Derek T. Yeah, and uh, he's a Twitter savant. You gotta follow him on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter uh, at Jason Clark is. Uh, and you can find all of these podcasts, including season one, on all of the platforms. You can also go to afamilystory.org, and everything's there. If you sign up for our mailing list, we send out a weekly email that has uh, articles, podcast information, and uh, we also let you know about new books coming out or events that we're uh, connected to. So yeah. uh, like, share, retweet, and uh, and man, if you could write a review, it, it actually does something for the rankings. It, it, it does, it more yeah. Available, so. But a five-star review, of course. <laughs> yes. You know, if you can't write a five-star review or something, <laughs> like just don't even write don't, a review. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like if you can't say something nice, don't say anything, don't say at, anything all. at all. I, I like that. And then apply that to this <laughs> podcast, definitely. That's my motto. That's I like what it. I do. I love it. So love you guys. Appreciate you coming on the ride with us. God bless.